Nick, what gets your blood pumping? My wife. What about you, Jim? This. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. Welcome to Making Chips. My name is Jason Zenger, and I will be your host today. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Jim Carr and Nick Golner. How Mi- you guys doing microwave today? Microwave popcorn, Nick Golner, like you introduced Yeah, that was only though. the one time. The yeah, one so time. I, you got to think of something new now. I can't just be Nick. Well, I was going to introduce you as the gamer. I guess you're the biggest gamer out of the three of us. I'm very pumped right there now. You yeah. well, there you go. We've got a gamer as a guest. Yeah, we do. We're going to talk about the convergence of gaming, programming, and the world of a machinist. Yeah. So I'm really Ooh. looking forward to this. Jason, thank you for making an episode for me, the nerdy gamer of the three of us. Yeah. Are you a big gamer, Nick? I was a really big gamer, and then I quit for six years, yeah. and I just relapsed. Yeah. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm starting to play again. Nice. My brothers got me into it. I have one game that I play. Do you know what it is? I've talked about it before on the show. Dance, Dance Revolution? Just Dance. Which <laughs> <There> you <laughs> would. That is really funny, man. I do with my family. It's a good excuse to be able to dance with my wife because she gets my blood pumping too. There you so, go. I like it's it. It's fun. And you know, kids enjoy it and it's a good time. So I want to hear back from you guys in about 30 years and see if your wife's still making your blood pump. Yeah, well, hey. I have a very beautiful <laughs> wife and she doesn't age either. And okay. so I still think that will be the case. I yes. think we need to imagine... Jason in a dancing tight neon 80s jumpsuit doing Dance Dance Revolution or whatever the heck it's Just called. Dance. Just well, Dance. Well, you know what I do? I in front of his TV. I, put I, on I my, don't want to imagine that, please. I put on my Z Cavarici pants, if you remember. If you <laughs> I remember, do remember those, I remember So I can look those. just like MC Hammer oh, when he does his... You oh, know, there you yeah. go. I yeah, like there it. There you go. <laughs> no, no, no. What was his original song? Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, my, no, my blood is no longer pumping anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> we better get into it. So, like we always start the show with a positive kickoff, what's going great in your business? What's going great in your business? What's going great in your business? <laughs> well, it's funny. You just mentioned robot. I just bought a robot. Nice. Our first robot for, you, for, Jim. The, for the shop floor. Yeah. Nice. We bought a robo job. You know, our friend Craig Zoberas. Yeah. Cool. Known him for 100 years through our manufacturing association. So, we shall see. Yeah. Wow. See how Time that goes. will tell. Let's That'll see if you can tell that robot what to do. Yeah. How about you, Nick? <laughs> It'll be the only employee that really listens. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't take cigarette breaks, right? Yeah. Well, exactly. In my business, it's a weird time. Okay. So I have customers that just really want to give us more work and we yeah. really need to get more factory. So we're in this transition of moving into this new building and getting this equipment installed. And it's a weird time to be a sales guy because it's more like trying to pick and choose which customers we're actually able to serve right now. Pick the and, good ones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, it's challenging. Uh, you shared that with me last night. I felt your pain, actually. Yeah. I do, man. It's tough. Yeah. And it, I would rather have this problem than have no work at all. So I'm very grateful. But yeah, it's a weird time right now, for nice. sure. Nice. You, Jason? Again, like you just said, growth. I mean, it's good, but you know, it's sometimes a little bit unwieldy. I mean, we're hiring new people. We just hired a new administrative director to help take 
a lot of responsibility. Super nice of guy, my, by the way. My play. Yeah. yeah no, really Mike nice guy. is a, Mike is an awesome guy. He was a pastor for 10 years and now he's pastoring the rest of the team <laughs> now he's here. shepherding the yeah. zenger's flock here <laughs> exactly That's exactly great. but you know right in your backyard nick one of black industrial my wife's company they're setting up a huge new factory right in the rockford area so uh, oh, cool. they're going to be moving out to that area to handle the integration and awesome. machines and Very stuff like cool. that so that should be fun now i'll be able to get you over to the making chips headquarters and we'll have more drinks at the boring bar there you go there you go yeah and we're you know i talked about this before new customer or new client of ours in tulsa oklahoma we're strategizing how to actually open up our new distribution hub in that area we think mm. that there's a really good um, there's a big market there. for us there so yeah. And, you know, there's not a lot of people that are doing what we do in that market. So, you know, Very we're really cool. looking forward to that. So, cool. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff going on. Well, thank you for sharing that news. Do you have any manufacturing news? I for do. So, I remember this before I even started in the manufacturing industry, before I even knew what manufacturing was. My dad used to tell me that he bought New Balance shoes because they were made in the USA, whereas like Nikes and Adidas and everything were I didn't made know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, That's they really were. Cool. Yeah. They started out making, making shoes that, huh? in yeah, my dad Steve, you told me about that. And they started making a lot of their shoes overseas eventually. I think they still had some SKUs that were made in the United States, but they started because of the demand for their brand. They started making a lot of stuff in the overseas markets, but it looks like now they're bringing back a long-standing commitment to US manufacturing. So I thought this was kind of interesting. Shoe manufacturing is not really the point of making chips, but I think it's great when you see these companies that are like, we're doubling down on going back to US manufacturing. Yeah. Well, now is the time to do that. It's more important than ever to have available supply chain and manufacturing capabilities. Domestically. Domestically. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what they said. It says the vast majority of the shoes sold in US came from China before the onset of the coronavirus right. pandemic. But they're pointing out that the current supply chain issues presented in the economy due to the pandemic is taking so much longer for those shoes to arrive in the United States. Right. And it's Obviously. tying up cash and they're not fulfilling orders. Just the other day. So Are I they going to retain redundancy though? Or they're going to keep... I'm sure that they're going to have redundancy. Yeah. yeah. But like just case in point, I was trying to buy a pair of tennis shoes and I was at the shoe shop or the tennis shop near my house and I was looking at these shoes and I'm like, you know, these shoes are super ugly. And not that that's the point when I'm out on the court, like I don't care what my shoes look like that much, but they were really ugly shoes. Mm -hmm. And the guy was like, well, it's kind of hard to get tennis shoes right now. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, there's a huge supply chain issue. And I was like, well, you got any sales on tennis shoes? He's like, nothing. Wow. They had two yeah, shoes. You don't put that stuff were in, on sale when you can't have any inventory. Exactly. You, you do the opposite. We only have two options in a size 10. I was like, wow. are you kidding me? Wow. Well, you know what's funny? I was at the store the other day and I was looking, I need a tuxedo shirt and a bow tie for a black tie wedding mm -hmm. that I have to go to. And I said, where's all your bow ties? And the guy goes, we can't get them. Yeah. So there, he only had like 10 I have to a choose you from. You can borrow my bow tie if yeah. you need one. So let me, uh, let me guess hole. something. Let me guess what kind of shoes you like for okay. your tennis shoes. Was it Asics? No. Oh, no. They were, I'm going to guess Jim's favorite shoe too. No, Nick, you know what? I could go out to my car and look at them, but they're a brand I never even heard of. Really? I think there's some like European, they're specifically tennis shoes oh, for like, the court. Okay. You know, so you don't roll your ankles and stuff like that. But mm, I never ouch. even heard of the brand. I'm going to guess Jim's now. I think Jim's favorite shoe is Old Balance. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I had, is that even a name of a shoe? No, no, no. no oh. It's not. It was just, a, it was just a zinger because I'm oh. here with my guy oh. Zanger and we are now 
done with manufacturing news. Should I have we get one last guest? thing though. Oh, more. One last thing. There's more. This was not the brand of my tennis shoe, but my favorite shoe brand right now is Hoka, which is also new to the United States. I've never heard of it. It has a sole that is just a little bit thicker than a normal shoe, and it's really comfortable. And I got it in making chips colors. I'm seeing the opposite. I'm seeing these like bare feet style. That's also a thing. Yeah. Yes. I feel yeah. like I would just really hate that. Yeah. yeah. Don't bring those to the IMTS. No. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's get to the guest. He's been waiting patiently for his yeah. introduction. Listening to blab Babylon about shoes. So Steve Corshane is our guest today. Steve is a self-taught machinist and is passionate about gaming, programming, and bridging the gap to the next generation of machinists who grew up on video games. Welcome Ooh. to the show, Steve. Hi, nice to meet you guys. Yeah, it's good to meet hey, you. Steve. You know, we've been here, interacting man. on LinkedIn a bunch, and it's just nice to finally have you here so we could talk about this. You've built a brand for yourself. Yeah, I kind of worked over the last few years to build a personal brand, and honestly, it's kind of helped the work as almost like a resume for me. I love it. I honestly have places reaching out to me to apply to them and not actually having to necessarily go to apply to places anymore. There you go. The power of a personal I, brand. I give you credit for being so bold. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Most people don't have the courage that you have. They're like, well, what, is, what are people going to think of me if I start branding myself as this? You know, I mean, Jim branded himself as the fashionista of manufacturing. The Jim Carr brand and is actually like, what happens if you go too far in the other direction? <laughs> and it turns into this huge monster that starts like tearing down the buildings in a city. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you, are you talking about that his ego has gotten too the big? G- yeah. The Jim Carr brand. Yeah. Sometimes right. we- This isn't about Jim. Let's move on. <laughs> this is about Steve. So there's definitely open communication with that, with the places that I was working, because obviously in this industry, there's a lot of the NDNA signed stuff. Sure, sure. For what you're actually able to put out there. Yes, you definitely have to be careful with that. So if you are going that route, I would suggest open communication with the places you're working. Yeah. Like I'm going just, to be able to yeah, create like, content. Hey, I maybe yeah. take a picture and talk about, and even let them know, like I'm going to talk about the job that I was working on in this way, not say who it's for, you know, but just maybe a problem that I ran into and how I helped solve that yeah. problem. And if you're a manufacturing company and you think that sounds awful, then you need to change how you think because that sounds like great promotion for Absolutely. Business. And um, I think it's always better to build a personal brand than it's not to. Absolutely. 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 So speaking of personal brand, you have an origin story as all manufacturing leaders do. So maybe you can kind of start from the beginning and give us the origin story. I want to hear it. So yeah, how I actually got into manufacturing was definitely kind of random. How I took my first job manufacturing related, one of my best friends, he was the office manager at a machine shop. So he was doing like payroll kind of just office work, calling customers, that type of stuff, not actually in a manufacturing position. Mm-hmm. But this friend had actually got me like eight out of my 10 jobs throughout my life. So literally I was working at a <laughs> gas station with him. I was detailing cars at a car dealership that he was working at. I was maybe had a bad background in school, so I didn't necessarily look good on paper for getting into places. So I kind of always just went to places where he was working and mm-hmm. it kind of always worked out for me. You weren't an A student? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, Neither I was, was I. I. I had all my high school math credits before I ever got to high school. So I was very good in math, failed absolutely everything else. Yep. Well, so wow. I was just like you were destined to so go into manufacturing. It was like, yeah, it found the industry. that I couldn't learn and that I couldn't perform in that. It just, oh, I was very one subject minded individual mm-hmm. and put my passion towards that one subject. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's okay. well, you found the perfect industry for that. Absolutely. So you went to a machine shop and they took you and they said, okay, we're going to give you a shot. We're going to put you on a CNC machine. We're going to let you learn how to use a mic, a veneer. You're going to be a button pusher, if you will, for a short period of time. 
And how long ago was that, Steve? When did you start doing that? 2012 was when I took that first job. And the shop was a prototype shop, but they had limited runs of production. So they still had a few, like maybe a couple hundred at like maximum quantities, but they still had a few of those types of runs coming through. Sure. So they were still using those types of jobs for training purposes and kind of stuff like that and getting people up to speed a little bit like that. Right. And that was definitely how I got introduced into it. But then very shortly after I was doing that, based on me not having any type of college background, school background, I was just working at a gas station. I realized probably in a couple months that like this is a career. Like this is something that like it's I real. Can, yeah. Like, you, can, you can really I can elevate build. yourself. Like, this is something I can build upon. It's not just like where if you're at a if you're a gas station clerk, there's nothing you can be planning you might be to able do to in manage your the place, but yeah, that's about it. You're gonna it. be doing your same job essentially and not really be able to build it into anything. So right. once I got into a position where I realized that I could build it out, I kind of just hit the ground running. I mean they even told me at the time they didn't really have the capacity to add on another programmer at the time just with their capacity of work. And I had my ear to the ground and they were on an old version of software and they were going to have to update this computer. I mean uh, their CAM software? Yeah, they were going to have to update their CAM software essentially because they were going to stop support for the version that they were on. Sure. And before they even purchased this new software, I actually went out, bought a laptop, bought the software, my own seat for myself trained myself at home on the software. Wow. The day that it came where they actually had to implement the new software, I just put my foot in and said, I know how to use the software better than any of the people here. And literally just proved myself and started doing it from there. I absolutely love it. Let's back up just a little bit. So 2012, you started in the industry, you're working, you're pressing buttons, you're learning how to use a mic, veneer and all that. Did you have an what I call an aha moment or like a light bulb going off and you did you feel it? You know what I mean? Because I think I that you get have, that emotion yeah. that you're like, dang, I'm in the pocket. I'm in the right seat. Yeah. So tell the, me about that. The very first thing that I did, like design related before I was actually on the computer myself doing it. So before I had that skill set, I already had an idea that I wanted to build an aluminum phone case for my iPhone. So essentially like aluminum shell. Oh, cool. Essentially, I knew how to do all the measurements at this point with my caliper. So essentially, I reverse engineered my phone, got some measurements of sickness and everything like that. Yeah. I worked with somebody through this process, kind of like, you know, I got all my design, then they showed me holding my hand a little bit through it or whatever. But then I eventually ended up making it. I had one. I sold actually a couple of them to this one. I had my phone. The at design? Like, yeah. Well, not even the design. I actually just sold oh. a couple of models to this. It was a guy where I was in like a phone repair shop and he just seen my case and was like, can I buy some of those? And just because he seen it on my phone and I ended up making like 30 for the guy. Nice. Like randomly. And this was very like within my first year of like so walking cool. into a place. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, Steve, I got to hand it to you for just having that drive to say, I'm going to do these things myself. I'm going to figure these things out myself and just jumping in there and do it. I think that's awesome. He's passionate. Yeah. About he's got it. the passion. So if there's think, any other you know, Steve type people listening, please call me. We, we <laughs> can use about 20 of them yes. at our shop. Yes. We're always looking for good people. So Steve, you and I, when we initially started chatting on LinkedIn through the chat feature there, we were talking about video games and Roblox. And I told you that my kids do the Roblox thing. And you were just like, well, there's a lot of commonality between that and CAD CAM and everything like that. Can you get into the details? Like, What is the conversions of 
programming and gaming and everything like that. Yeah. So my background a little bit in like with my literacy with computers, my parents had computers really early to where I was in like the MS-DOS days where you actually had like open windows that way. Oh, nice. Yes. So I was just very interested in computer software from pretty much the start of my memory. And I would literally just download computer software programs just to see what they can do and click all the buttons and just had that type of interest in computer software Mm -hmm. from a little kid. So I feel that that's just like when you're writing a lot, it's like a muscle memory that you just Mm -hmm. you gain a muscle memory with computer software and how to analyze new software. And if you go to open up a new software, you're able to take the skills from the last one and apply it to learning that software very quickly. And then long story short, you get into manufacturing and realize that computer software is tied to every single part of it, whether it's CMMs and knowing how to use that software for stuff. Nowadays, too, like 3D printing and additive, that's all computer software. I mean, I've even gone to like the idea of like me learning from YouTube, even websites, if you think about it, they're web-based computer software programs. There's still computer software programs that you're utilizing for learning and stuff like that. So almost everything that I touch related to manufacturing is somehow connected to a computer program nowadays, where Mm. it might not have been that way generations ago. And I respect that and understand that, but I've just come to realize that everything is starting to go the route of being somewhat tied to computer software. Oh, everything is. Absolutely. Our businesses are run in that capacity. Supply chain is a big deal right now. Oh my God, it's awful. It's hard to get parts. It's hard to get machines. What is going on in your world right now with supply chain, Jim? Well, supply chain, I can get cutting tools, thank God, from Zangers, but I'm having a really hard time getting materials. That seems to be like a huge problem right now. Well, quite frankly, in the 41 years in business, I've never seen it so crazy, but it's about three times longer than it used to be right now to get material. You know, I think our partner Zometry has a solution for that, don't they? Absolutely. And I was going to get to that, Jason. I just got an email the other day from somebody that I know at Zometry, and they're promoting their new supplies partnership that they have. And they are offering people like myself that own machine shops, you can buy your raw material. Let's say you've got $100,000 in aluminum that you need to buy. You can buy it from Zometry. They will hold it for you at that cost. And then all I got to do is call and say, hey, man, can you ship 25% of that to me? And then it sits on my floor. And then I have 90 days, same as cash, to pay for that. So I'm pulling my inventory from Zometry. It's not scattered all over the shop floor. And it sounds like an awesome thing. It's basically like a Kanban system. What is a Kanban? I've heard that many, many times. You just described it. Is that exactly what it is? instead of you being stuck with all the inventory right now, you trigger the shipment when you need it. Well, it sounds like a fantastic idea. I know I've talked to Ryan about it already. We're ready to call Zometry next week and give them an order or at least get an RFQ for some big aluminum orders we have coming up. And as a matter of fact, you, the Metalworking Nation, can try too. And Jason, what's that landing page number? So you go to Zometry, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y dot com slash making chips and you get 10% off. Sounds great. Awesome. What's easier to program? The software, gaming, or is it a CNC machine? I mean, me personally, I'm definitely considering myself a CAM program because I like the idea of building... I think of like building geometrical shapes in my head and stuff like that's a lot of big part of manufacturing related programs. So my mind works very geometrically. So I think that's why I'm able to concept. I don't think I could necessarily program like a website 
with a lot of that, you're not necessarily, that's a lot of language and different stuff where you're not necessarily thinking of geometries and just math related mm-hmm. stuff. But when it's specific to that, I feel like my mindset is able to kind of go above in the program. Yeah. So sense. there's more of a tangibility to yeah, what you want to you know, program, like that kind of mechanical engineering yep. mindset. So Jason, did you mention Roblox? Did yeah. you mention that your kids play Roblox? Roblox? Yeah. yeah. So he was talking to me prior to the recording on how there's this interface between Roblox and machining. Oh, I want to hear this. Yeah, so tell us that again. That was great. Yeah, so essentially Roblox, it's a game that's like more popular among really young kids. Well, tell us what Roblox is, first of all. So it's a very open-ended game. It's almost kind of hard to explain conceptually, but... What platform do you play it on? Um, On PC. So oh, okay. it actually is, though, Roblox is cross-platform. So you can yeah. make your world and play it on a mobile phone, go play it on any type of platform. Okay. Where I got big into Roblox in my demographic was the world editor and actually creating the worlds within Roblox that people can then enter. And the software for editing these worlds is essentially a clone of the CAD CAM software that we use in our industry, where you just take out CAM, the CAD, computer-aided design. You're using computer-aided design software to build these worlds within Roblox. 100%, yes. all of the buttons and all of what you're doing within these, you're taking actual like STL models, you're loading them in, you're translating them, you're rotating them, you're scaling them, you're putting them on plat- like XYZ planes and stuff like that. And Sounds kind of familiar, Steve. Yeah, so a lot of the stuff you're doing, if you're making these worlds within Roblox, you're essentially training yourself for the CAD cam industry. Is wow. that kind of like Minecraft too? A little bit different. Okay. Minecraft, a lot of the building implements are built right into the game structure where the game editing software and computer software for Roblox is its separate entity other than the game. So they're the world editor and then they're the game where Minecraft, they kind of combine the two into one. Okay. So I you see. were telling me in Roblox, this world that you edited, you basically made like a clone of your shop or you definitely could make an, a one-to-one replica clone of your shop if you want to, but I just like machine just, tools and everything. Yeah. So I have an open world right now where you can go to like the Haas website and actually download CAD models yes, of Haas machines yes. where you have STL model yep. and going further into it, you can go into this blender software, which allows you to actually like paint models and you can download image files, which allow you to essentially like a car wrap. You can put like a car wrap onto the Haas machine. So it's actually painted and colored in your world, just like a car wrap. So you can load a Haas machine into your world, line them all up, actually load the models that you're manufacturing, their STL models, put them within the world on showcase them within your shop and actually create like essentially a virtual shop. And you could have your whole part catalog visually able to somebody if you wanted to within the virtual world. Sounds cool. So you're creating your own virtual world in the shop as a part of that. It's kind of like how I hear on the news that these people are selling virtual real estate and which, in like the metaverse yeah, yeah. Like, yes. well, you could be neighbors with snoop dog that's he's like one of the big proponents of this is like in he's in, in everything virtual, nowadays. in this virtual world it's like well and they allow you to monetize different ways within these games like you could have a building within your world that to even enter the door of this building within your world people would have to pay a fee or something like that. Like you can put parameters mm. and all this type of stuff within your world. Or like even to get to the second level of that building. I mean like five bucks to get in. Yeah. Or like because they got Robux or whatever. And then you essentially set a denomination yeah. for performing actions within your world. If you want to go that route of monetizing your world. What would be world, the advantage for me to pay to get into your world? So that would be it. If you would Access have to, to you whatever's have on the to second somehow level. somehow incentivize that. And that's where 
people do that with how they're programming their games. Like, hey, if you want to have access to this new weapon, essentially. So if you're going into the gaming thing, that's like you can pay me extra uh, for or uh, if you want an experience boost, if you want to level up faster within my world, you can give me this type of denomination. And it's pretty much uncontrollable and limitless to types of variables that you can control yeah, I'm within sure. that. I understand the denomination type thing. I'm just trying to envision the practicality of it outside of the gaming world because mm-hmm. like I can understand this whole notion of leveling up but like somebody from my perspective i'm like well i don't even want to be a part of a virtual world you know it's just not for me personally sure sure me too i think that seems a little odd to be in a fake world yeah you but just I mean, try but, to but live better people, in your I real world sounds pretty cool yeah but for some people like you know jim and steve maybe they do want to be a part of it but could you create like a virtual world where you're getting admission into like your training facility for training programmers or something like yeah that? exactly wow I think a big advantage is not monetizing it and essentially keeping it open and free as much as possible. Like, Because yeah. I feel like the strength of the platform is an awareness thing. It's creating awareness to what you're doing. Like, Obviously, people that are just building games on there, they're trying to monetize those games. Mm-hmm. But if you're using it as an outlet to essentially create like a virtual showcase for what you're doing, you can do that and make it completely free to people to access that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Steve, I have a question. I kind of want to get back to the manufacturing yeah. side. So obviously you're a younger person and younger people are very attracted to this gaming platform. How do you promote the idea of utilizing gaming to attract the new generation to manufacturing? Mm. Yeah, and that's something I'm figuring out myself as I go also. And they're all living vicariously yeah. through your experiences. A big part of what got me going into it like a high score gaming mentality because a lot of manufacturing is literally where if you do something one second faster that is a dollar more exactly and when you get into the high score gaming mentality of gamers it's so perfectly where a little fraction of a second doing it better they are trying to think of every single variable and tool set possible to them to be able to increase that by one fraction of a second. Sure. And that type of a mindset in manufacturing of like knowing all of your variables and tools and being able to analyze those all together and be able to like compartmentalize those and be able to like apply those to very small incremental growth is I feel very important like in manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's connect that to you said what caused you to really fall in love with this industry is the ability to level up. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have a ceiling. You know, if you got started and you kept learning that next skill, you were going to get to the next level and the next level. And we all know like when it comes to work and your career, the next level means more compensation, more money and all that. So give me some ways that you feel someone listening to this, whether they're an employer or an employee can put some gaming principles into the way that they actually motivate employees or the way that they show their boss what they're doing. Like if you had your shop, what would you put into place? Even though throughout my career path, I ended up finding a lot of those myself. That was something that I realized down the road later. I was like, if somebody would have lined these up for me, I could have knocked them all out and I could have been actually goal associated where a lot of the stuff, it was stuff that I had to find. So to start even giving examples, I guess. So they had a probing at the shop that I was working at Literally bought it all, got it all set up, never used it. It sat there. They just decided to never train themselves how to use it, but felt that it was an investment at the time when wow. they bought it. Wow. I literally by myself on the weekend through YouTube videos, just put the probe in the machine one day, trained myself how to use it. We started probing ever since then. So it was a skill set that I showed myself. I was like, okay, I'm going to go achieve this skill set to be able to apply it to increase my abilities elsewhere 
with the other skills that I already have. So it's that whole notion of I'm going to learn how to beat the boss by watching this YouTube video. Yep. I'm thinking myself, Nick, I'm thinking about like the day-to-day interactions at a business. And it's like, could you have a score up on the big screen? And like at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, we scored 100,000 points today, which is like, say, 100,000 in sales or something like that. And everybody gets these many diamonds, which is like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. a bonus dollar or something like that. It's like, how do you get that going? It doesn't always have to be money, but yeah. Or like you buy that next investment in the cafeteria because the company can now afford it because you achieved right. that thing. So how do you keep putting those programs together to gamify and like always be leveling up? Yeah. And I've actually been considering that stuff myself, even like, and just recently, I mean, I'm kind of at the starting stages of trying to come up with ideas like that and solutions that could actually be implemented and stuff. And it was a conversation that I had with somebody where everyone knows somebody in this industry that's been doing what they've been doing for 30 years, but only has, but I was going to say that only has really one year experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's yeah, those guys they didn't that level up. only stayed on that one machine for 30 years that say, like, I have 30 years experience doing this. You don't really have 30 years experience. <laughs> yeah, right. No, because you was pitch and hold into one right. thing. Yeah. And so yes. it's like in leveling up in RPGs and gaming, there's a lot of stuff where if you perform a task the first time, you will gain extra experience and extra points towards it, where if you just repeat that task over and over, the leveling up that you get from it dwindles off. So there's like some type of implementation in there where if you're learning a new skill, say it's worth a thousand points, like, and it took you a month to learn that skill. You perform that skill for three months, it's worth 500 points. You perform that skill for an entire year after that, it's only worth a hundred points. You're still adding to the company, but you can't go back to level one. You're not leveling up and you're not gaining the amount of experience that you're gaining to get to that next stage over actually learning those other skills. Right. It's not saying that you're not gaining no experience from repeating that task and allowing you to gain stuff from it. It's just not maybe as valuable of an experience increase as other skills. Sure. That makes perfect sense to me. And, And I think the challenge to the manufacturing leader is to, first off, know who you're recruiting. You're recruiting people who grew up playing video games, and to not have millennial be this derogatory M word that we always talk about when we're talking about lazy people or people who are entitled. It shouldn't be derogatory. It should just be they're different. Yeah, yeah, you know? right. So how do you use that as a superpower? Like yeah. everyone hearing you talk about shaving a second off a of cycle time or teaching yourself your own program, and they're like, I wish I had those guys. Yeah. Well, you might have those guys, but you might have a company that's designed around not those guys. That's designed around people who worked on cars their whole life, which is an, also a very valuable skill. Mm-hmm. But if you can learn like, all right, the NFL is different today than it was 50 years ago. People play with different schemes. How do I get the kind of players who are going to help me win this year's Super Bowl, not the 1985 Bears? That, yes, you know, it's for, totally for different. from Chicago. So yeah. I really love what, you you're, born, what you're then? talking about. No, I was born in 87. So oh, no. I've never oh, seen God. the Bears win a Super Bowl. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, how do we as manufacturing leaders, the word is gamify our business so that our employees aren't hoping to finish work so they can get home and start playing that game where they want to level up, but they they just can't wait to come back tomorrow. I feel like if we had the right data inputs, we could almost create like kind of this cult consultative business based on how to gamify your shop, yeah, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of shops out there that it could be transformative for them. Before I even got into manufacturing, I studied art of war a lot and just the idea of how art of war is used to teach business. Mm-hmm. And sure. even the art yeah. of war was created for warfare and how they have took the trainings from it and applied it to business. And I feel like 
that's the kind of same thing where gamification is reaching with business, where they're taking a lot of the the things and skills and assets of gaming and now applying those into like a business sense in the same way as Art of War. Well, we were just talking about what, what was the game of World of Warcraft 3 that you play. Yep. And I play this real-time strategy game that's very similar called StarCraft. And you, know, you have to accumulate resources, raw materials, and you have to build production facilities and you have to make units and manage inventory. And really, like if you're good at the game, it's because you're good at lean manufacturing. You're good at one piece flow. You're good at not carrying too much cash and also not carrying too much debt. So it's like when you play games like that and then you go into the workforce and you go into manufacturing and people are starting to teach you things that are totally aligned with the things that make you good at video games, you're going to learn it so much quicker oh, yeah. than people well, who don't. Well, it's visual, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's visual. Absolutely. So Steve, who is the CNC Samurai? And what is the CNC dojo? Okay. <laughs> and so, what do yeah. those things mean? So CNC Samurai, being a gamer, I mean, there's a term called gamer tag. So you kind of always wanted a handle or some type of name to be recognized by. I mean, I had different ones throughout my life, but eventually I was doing CNC stuff long enough. Uh, Samurai is kind of like, I've always been big into Japanese culture. I've been to Tokyo and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Uh, with Black Belt and Karate. So just nice. always was into Japanese culture and into that Samurai kind of thing and just the idea of there's always honor behind a samurai, that yeah. part of it. And CNC is, well, we know what that is. And then yeah. samurais cut stuff, and I cut metal. Nice. With it. CNC, so it. it kind of worked together with there, and I kind of ran with it. And then CNC Dojo is, I created an LLC to be able to, kind of on my personal brand, to be able to do stuff myself away from the places I'm working in. Just like uh, felt a, like an obligation to give back in an educational sense to the community. Simply cool. coming from a background of failing everything in school and kind of being one of those kids that told you're going to flip burgers and not do anything. And now I'm literally making parts for NASA and yeah. defense contracted companies and nice. having them respect me. So coming from that, I definitely oh, I'm out there to it. show people the yeah. different ways of learning. Too. Nice. So they call that a tag? Yeah, a gamer or like tag. A gamer like tag, yours yeah. is microwave popcorn, Nick. Yeah, no, I have a new one, yeah. So, Steve, tell me what you're doing right now. You're obviously working in a machine shop. You're on a machine. You're doing programming, I would assume. Oh, yeah. So it's essentially like prototyping where essentially I'm taking a part from start to finish where I just receive a print or a model. Yep. And then it's all the tool ordering, any fixturing, designing, any fixturing, making is all almost fully independently from there. So essentially, even though a full-time employee, it was essentially contract machining almost in the level that I was working independently. Got it. So I'm an old school machine shop owner, how did you convince, I'm sure, the old school mentality at your shop that you need to get a chance? You need They need to let go. They need to give Steve a chance to take the reins and just move on. Tell me how that went. Yeah, so it was definitely a mix of stuff. The owner of the shop where I started, he was an old R&D guy at Lockheed Martin, so yep. very high end on the types of work that he was working on and kind of very... Military his, style, I bet. Yeah, very set in his ways because of that also. So I used different tools where, that, where some of it was just old school research with text and reading and being able to present those in front of him and say like, here, this is the amount of research I've actually gone and did tonight, completely on my free time, not on paid right. shop time. Of course. Like, this is why I'm bringing this up to you because I care about this. And then even one of the times, it was as simple as squaring up two pieces of material and deburring them. The shop owner said, I can do this faster manually than you can do it with the CNC programming. 
long story short, I blew them out of the water because I have saved features and everything oh, yeah. like that. Where <laughs> yeah. I just touched my geometry and had my program written in two seconds. Yeah. And you don't deburr outside of the machine anymore. Yeah, exactly. You definitely are doing it inside the machine. Since that competition, that was definitely what. Oh, opened. so you had competition with I, him? I had a direct competition where the shop watched it, <laughs> where the shop stopped That's and the awesome. owner challenged Talk me. Talk about gaming. Yeah. So exactly, I wasn't threatened at all. I was like, okay, no. Because you let's. knew you could do it. I was confident in my ways of doing it. So that definitely opened the door for being able to have more conversations with him later. So of sometimes course. you do just got to prove your abilities at a certain point. If you're not able that. to do that, why is anyone going to listen to you? Exactly. So like that's definitely part of it. So once you get there, then it is having the confidence to know that you're going to have to be pushing back against somebody and that like if you're confident in what you believe, you have to keep pushing for it and also know when to stop. Like if you're not the owner of the shop, if it's an investment that they need to make, he's going to be the one that loses from it. So it's like as you got to know when to not push back also because it's not your money that is getting lost if you're just an employee. Very few employees think like that. Let me tell you for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm impressed, man. Yeah, it's kind of funny, Steve. So one of my oldest son, he's really good at math like you are. He's also into karate and he's an orange belt now. He's not a black belt like you, but I've definitely seen how his participation in karate has given him a lot more confidence over the last year that he's been doing that. Is that where some of that confidence has come from? Oh yeah, I'm definitely sure that was part of it. I mean, I was big into the sparring scene of yeah. like karate, so just yeah, the combat lo- sports he lo- he of sparring. It. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'd say the same for wrestling. Like Just knowing you know, if I get attacked, I'm going to be able to handle myself pretty good. You know, right. that, that helps. With confidence. Yeah. But I think we should probably wrap this up. And I just want to say, like, one takeaway for me is when you're talking about consulting, you could teach someone how to run a machine. I think the kind of consulting you could do is to the manufacturing leader to teach them how to not only attract people like you, but how to motivate people like you and how to get more out of their shop through the generation that you're in. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of people kind of showing people how to run machine tools. We don't have enough people showing well, shop can, owners how to make employees. He can work. inspire. Yes. That's what he can yeah, do. Absolutely. Not show. There's a absolutely. difference. I'm inspired by yeah. what we've talked about today. Yeah, absolutely. What about you guys? Any takeaways? No, I think you hit the nail on the head, Nick. I mean, I just love how Steve has really just owned this and he has taken control of his destiny and said, I'm going to teach myself. I'm going to take my experience outside of manufacturing and apply it here. And now I'm going to use this to inspire the next generation. I He's love definitely that. making chips with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And I think that's <laughs> <Yes>. awesome. <laughs> there you go. Hey, so do you know how we end our shows? If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.